Welcome back to The Big Podcast. As you may be aware, we're now doing these weekly and we've got a whole bunch of special guests coming up. We've also got some live podcasts happening every month in different states around Australia. So if you're interested, keep in touch with us at bigesports.gg. For today's episode, we've got Ross Adcock from Corsair, the ANZ PR and marketing specialist. And the discussion I had with him today centers a whole lot around sponsorships, talking about influencers, esports teams, tech reviewers, and otherwise. And rather than just talking about how much sponsorships cost or exactly who he's looking for, we get to dive quite deep into marketing strategy, into understanding why Corsair is sponsoring, who they are sponsoring, and really deep into the messaging. And the messaging is something we talk quite a lot about today. So enjoy the podcast that's coming up. And once again, Big Esports is supported by PLE Computers. One of the best things you can do for esports in Australia or abroad is support those companies that support you. What we do here in Australia at Big Esports is we've partnered with PLE Computers. They're a PC retailer that sell all of the best gaming gear. They also make a whole bunch of custom PCs, whether it's a full water-cooled massive rig to play Crisis at full graphics, or whether it's something nice and simple to take to LAN parties, play CSGO, Rocket League, Fortnite, or otherwise. They've got these different solutions for you. What we're doing with PLE is instead of just a general advertising partnership, we're trying to educate audiences and we're trying to grow the local scene. So PLE are working with us on our mentor courses where we're providing discount on both shipping and parts to the people that join in. We've partnered with them on our high school boot camp where we're educating high school students on mental health, physical health and wellness, along with technology integration, understanding how they can take apart and build their own computers and save money on pre-builds. We're also working with them on this podcast, which we're hoping is educating all of you, not only on just talking to cool people and understanding how they think and feel, but what their struggles are, how their businesses work and how the back end works. So if you're looking to support a company that supports the scene, make sure you check out PLE at ple.com.au and grab yourself a bargain. All right, today we have joining me all the way from Hong Kong, generally in Sydney, Australia, Ross from Corsair. Ross, mate, how are you today? Hey, yeah, hey, Chris, I'm good, thanks. Uh, how are you? Yeah, really good, really good. So do you want to start off, I guess, before we do a bit of a deep dive? I know that we've been chatting off camera quite a lot about what we want to talk about today, and there's quite a lot of topics to cover across esports and influencers, but do you want to give the people listening a little bit of a rundown of who you are, what you're doing right now, and, and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, so uh, my name is Ross. I'm an international student uh, originally that was studying at UNSW. Uh, currently, I'm working as the uh, marketing and PR specialist for Corsair in Australia and New Zealand. Prior to that, I was uh, working a similar role as a community manager at Gigabyte and Aorus for about two and a half years. Um, and I actually got this start in the industry by joining a university society um, that centered around League of Legends. I became a director at the League of Legends Society at UNSW. And through that, I actually got noticed by um, our sponsors uh, at the society, which at the time was NVIDIA. And they connected me to the right people to get involved in uh, tech and marketing. So it was a pretty interesting route into the industry, uh, considering I was studying teaching at the time, but I've been here for uh, three, uh, four years now, and yeah, love it. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's, it's no guessing games or anyone who knows you that you're a massive fan of League of Legends, but it, you know, if you're looking at traditional, we'll call it like traditional business, traditional market, that's not usually a way that someone would enter, you know, a big, a big four bank to do marketing there or, or any kind of PR marketing firm. Do you find that your path into esports and tech marketing is pretty similar to a lot of your peers? Or do you find that uh, 
often people have that traditional route of a marketing degree applying on on seek or linkedin and and diving into the job so i think um you know in the tech gaming space you know because obviously like working with corsair and gigabyte is more specifically focused on hardware manufacturing with a relation to tech and gaming but then you know, with other roles of people that I've met in the industry that, you know, work more deliberately with games and esports in particular, the, yeah, it doesn't seem like there is a standard pathway. I mean, there are people that work at pretty high levels that studied law, which I suppose like, you know, but they loved games and they, a lot of them, uh, what they have in common is that they had some sort of passion for the community that they were a part of and the game that they were a part of. And, you know, in, in a way, that's what got them noticed more. And uh, the fact that they completed a degree was less less about the specific information or education and more about their competency uh, as a possible employee. So for, for me, myself, I found that my route into the industry was, you know, not, not too atypical from uh, a lot of my peers here. But uh, I think you're right, very different from, let's say, like a big four bank or a lot of um, typical corporate uh, jobs. It's a pretty common answer, I guess, uh, across all of the um, the recent big podcasts that we've done, ranging from gaming teams to you know tech to to PR to whoever else. That it's, it's maybe like a sixty forty split, I guess, sixty percent being knowing about games and forty percent being actually knowing about business. Would you agree? I mean, it's a bit of a guess, but would you agree with something like that? Um, not not too sure about the, the ratio, but I mean, uh, yeah, I'd I'd say like. Um, someone's like passion and knowledge of the industry almost in a way takes precedent over just their ability to work in a corporate environment. I mean, it's difficult for me to give a ratio, but as in, I can only speak from my own experience. And the first two interviews that I had for my first job at Gigabyte, they didn't ask me anything about marketing strategies or (laughs) PR strategies. They asked me about games, the esports scene, how much I knew about the local esports teams and uh, where people go online uh, as a community manager, like that would have been my primary role, where people go online to discuss things like esports and all that. So in, in a way, they were looking for expertise um, uh, and competency, but the expertise was in the esports and the competency, I guess, like any degree would have just been proof of your ability to work hard. Um, but yeah, I couldn't give a ratio. 60-40 sounds about right, though. Yeah, that's good. So it's obvious that esports and influencers are a big part of a marketing strategy for Corsair and, and competitors and, and any other brand within the space. Can you give a quick rundown of what all of the marketing silos would look like with esports and influencers being two of them? So um, I guess from a marketing perspective, being a very broad term, esports and influencers are definitely, you know, just one thing that fits into um, online. But of course, like, you know, when it comes to marketing, there's, you know, ad placements, banner ads, uh, sponsorships, uh, as well as, you know, uh, you know, typical like point of sale marketing and retail marketing. Uh, But if we're talking specifically in the online space, you know, yeah, I mean, esports, influencers, sales programs, uh, I mean, there's, it's it's such a broad thing that like I often find um, new projects coming up all the time that I have to become well versed in because you know a lot of things can be considered marketing. Uh, esports and influencers really fit into a social space as well. I mean, like you know, on that regard as well, like social media can be a huge part of marketing that I think we often see in modern brands nowadays. I mean, you know, Corsair as well in particular has a pretty comprehensive social media following um, across you know, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, which have all, like, uh, even there, it's interesting because they all hit different demographics as well. You know, the age, the age of the standard user on each of those platforms is very different. So, yeah, I mean, marketing 
marketing covers such a huge range of things nowadays. Mm, yeah, for sure, for sure. So do you, do you find that? Uh, I mean, I'm let like let's just keep putting esports and influencers in the same bucket now before we start to kind of dissect them a little bit later. But do you find that esports and influencers in general are a growing part of, of course, there's concern in marketing, it, let's say both budget-wise and attention-wise? Um, I think um, as, a, as a broad general rule, definitely. Um, I think one of the biggest things in particular when you look at esports, uh, particularly for Corsair, is like their sponsorship of Invictus Gaming, which, you know, as you mentioned, I'm a big League of Legends fan and Invictus Gaming just became the world champions. And, you know, Corsair as a major sponsor there, you know, I mean, like particularly when you see the kind of return on investment at events like worlds for league of legends it's absolutely massive and the number of fans for those teams the number of fans for the individual players and you know influencers as well i think um corsair's largest sponsored influencer would be summit 1g um and it's it definitely seems to be a growing space you know as as the average user becomes you know younger and younger and more and more a part of internet culture you know influencers in esports um much, much as we see the trend growing for um, just like esports e is becoming bigger and bigger all around the world, um, you know, it makes sense that proportionately companies would make esports and influencers a larger and larger part of their strategy. Yeah. So looking into esports a bit more, this, this question I find sounds really obvious when you say it out loud, but it's not something that people generally think about. So to, to prephrase this or, or to give a bit of an introduction, you know, a lot of the time, as you're aware, and, and many others are at big, we do a lot of mentoring, whether it be singular person mentoring one-on-one, -on -one, whether it be corporate mentoring or group mentoring. And people are often, I find, stuck in that realm of wanting to push for the revenue they want to get sponsors on the jersey they want to get free products if they're smaller they want to make some cash flow to be actually running their business and not operating at a loss if they're a larger gaming team for example but what i find generally missing and, and this is the question to you is what brand messaging do you actually want to tie in within esports and why is corsair even involved in esports what's the purpose for you being in that sector so i think um ugh, um I think that there's quite a few ways to answer this question, depending on you know which company that you might be working for. But for Corsair, particularly as a peripherals company, you know we make mice, keyboards, headsets, things like that. I think a huge part of the branding message that ties in with esports is high performance. So, so if a if a professional gamer is using like a Corsair K70 Mark II keyboard, um, and they have a pretty dedicated following, and people see them as the best of the best, then you're similarly going to want to buy the gear that the best use. And it, it goes uh, very similarly, I guess, to draw a parallel to traditional sports. You know, if uh, Ronaldo uh, is wearing Nikes and you're like, you know what? If Ronaldo thinks Nikes are good enough, I think Nikes are good enough. And I guess in a similar way, if um, if an esports pro says that, you know what? Yeah, we are the best and these peripherals are good enough for us, then other people can look at them and being like, you know what? If it's good enough for the best people in the world, it's good enough for me. So I suppose in that regard, that's the overall branding message. But at the same time, um, I know that, um, you know, Corsair in particular, and I know that other brands do this as well, they try to go for a more lifestyle attitude kind of, um, you know, common association as well. Uh, I, I shouldn't say common, but a more um, casual association. And I think one of the best examples of this um, in esports is 100 Thieves and the way that they're kind of branding themselves right now. Um, and I guess, um, you know, if you have a brand that ties in you know, with um, that kind of a uh, 
outlook as a team, then you can have that kind of an association with your brand as well, hopefully. Yeah, it kind of takes me back to I get Red Bull marketing, right? The main thing that they say is can in hand, and they they don't uh, do taste test reviews of Red Bull. Um, you know, they don't do sponsored product reviews, and often you see that Red Bull doesn't necessarily even ask for logo placement, but it's you know what they call all the time can in hand. And do you, do you find that that's the more casual messaging you're looking to push with Corsair, or is it the more uh, kind of in-your-face messaging, or is it a bit of a mixture of both? It's definitely a mixture of both, uh, depending on the region. And I think, you know, this is why companies like Corsair have, um, you know, like myself as an Australian New Zealand specialist, um, that's why they have people that uh, work and live in that region as uh, kind of uh, local experts for how to activate. Because, you know, it's quite different in the West as it is from the East and things like that, you know, and, you know, Korea compared to Japan is even monumentally different. So, you know, you really need someone who understands the local culture and a way in which they activate. And I think, you know, yeah, like that Red Bull marketing can in hand, I think works really well in the West. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. Um, one of the best examples that I have for this in esports is when you look at um, some Western teams, if they start, if they change the way that they named themselves or something like that, a lot of people would see them as, you know, being sellouts, like, oh, like you gave up your original like plan you gave up your original outlook but in the east there are a lot of teams that are owned by corporate entities and in the east it's not necessarily seen as selling out it's seen as success when you're able to be picked up with that level of you know financial backing and things like that whereas in the west you know like the, the concept of selling out is so much stronger and so how we can tie in with different teams is very different so in in the east we might have a more direct marketing strategy uh, just like advocacy of our products, uh, put printing players on our color boxes and things like that with our products. You know, like imagine you're buying a keyboard uh, for League of Legends and it's got Rookie's face, like the one of the world champions on it, on it. And you're just like, yeah, you know what? Like I know who this guy is, and if he advocates this keyboard, why not? But in the West, it might be um, a lot more casual, like just um, even having like. Um, branded mouse pads like we have a summit 1g branded mouse pad and things like that um and a lot of that as well in the west you can do things like amazon affiliate links um, because you want to have a strong association with the influencer or the esports team where people feel like if they're supporting their sponsors they're supporting you as well so it, it's definitely different region to region so it's a huge mix across the board so when you're weighing up an, an esports partnership or you know let's let's say a team or an event to work with what not necessarily even metrics. What look and feel are you looking for? It, you know, I guess to, to prephrase this as well, there's obvious that there's teams in Australia like Chiefs who are known for winning quite a lot. There's teams in Australia like Avant who are known for creating a lot of content. Do you sway in one direction or the other or does it depend solely on the deal and, and who it's with? Um, a lot of the time it will depend ideally. Uh, it will depend almost entirely on the relationship that the esports team themselves is trying to put forward a lot of the time if people are looking like uh, with the examples that you use let's say with the chiefs who are known for winning a lot or you know like greyhound gaming or you know a team that's more focused on branding like order or something like that it, it really depends on what kind of sponsor they're looking for and of course as, as i've mentioned you know we're a we're a peripherals company but of course we make other things on top of that you know we make you know memory ssds psus um and and you know a little more difficult to activate and like connect with an esports audience in comparison to mice, keyboards, and mouse pads. So a lot of uh, a lot of what I look for when we're looking for the kind of success in an esports partnership, particularly when people approach uh, approach us, and in my in, in my 
like role I get approached quite often by people who, you know, have esports pitches and things like that. Uh, a lot of it is about how, like, one of the main things I look for is how well they seem to understand the culture of our company um, and how they've found uh, a way to perhaps connect that with, you know, their their fan base. So for a team like Avant, who we've sponsored for quite a few years, um, a big part of that is um, how they can find creative ways to put us into their content um, in ways that don't feel overbearing uh, and don't you know change the feel of their own team as well. A lot of the time, a certain team will have their own culture. Their their community has its own style. And you know, as a sponsor, that's one of the, like especially in the West, that's one of the last things we want to do, um, where it feels like you know we're changing. Uh, the organization because you know it, it is a partnership it's not ownership so um, that's one of the big things is whether or not we can find creative ways uh, to engage one brand with the other in a way that makes sense like it wouldn't make sense to pair you know Red Bull with a stationary company at least not in my opinion yeah I think I think that's a pretty good explanation um, and I I really liked the fact where you were talking about that a team or a league or a person they need to understand the culture of the company and what they're looking at. And this is a big part that I harp on about quite a lot. And it's from how to win friends and influence people. And a lot of it just talks about just learning about who the person you are that you're about to go to a meeting with. And that can translate across to any of your proposals or to your pitches. You know, you don't, you know, everybody in your position, and I've been in similar positions to you at, at um, you know, various peripheral companies and sponsoring situations, and you always get the same pitch from people, right? It's the, hey, company name, I really like your products and use them all the time. You know, give me money, please. Sign on the dotted line, here you go. But, you know, what I try to tell to people, and, and this applies probably even more so to influencers than to esports, is to go to the brand and say, hey, I specifically like this campaign you did with Summit 1G as Corsair. Um, you know, here are the reasons I thought it was good. Um, I think that we can do something similar, you know, here in our country. And it's, you know, I try to explain it. It's not as the fact that you're trying to steal Summit 1G's uh, relationship with Corsair, whether you're his size, bigger or smaller or anything like that. But it's usually quite apparent that a brand will have a marketing message. And while I understand that your Corsair, you know, from, from my own observation, if you look in Australia, People like Corsair will sponsor influencers and go all out. You know, you're working with Badjo Pants, you're working with Oasis Overwatch, you're working with Pig, um, and their full sponsorship. You know, they're they're going to events all the time on behalf of Corsair, creating a lot of content, exclusive peripheral deals, giveaways every month, and all this kind of stuff. And then you compare that to someone, say, like HyperX, who has a different strategy. Where in the past, especially, it's been free headsets and giveaways only, and a bit of a softer integration uh, until obviously their later work with Click Management. So, you know, my advice to anyone who's going to go pitch a company, take a look at what they're already doing. If you want to be sponsored by Corsair, come in to them and give them examples that you know what they're already doing and tell them that you're looking for something similar. Because if you're going to Corsair as a streamer and just saying, hey, I want one headset and some giveaways, I've got you know, a smaller amount of followers, it's likely not going to fly. It's not something they're doing in the past. Whereas you know, HyperX might be a better, a better person to contact for that. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and I think one of the big things as well is like, I mean, we've we've talked about this before in like uh, our own conversations. Like, I think, um, you know, in in one of your previous jobs, you got an email. Uh, like, obviously, I don't know from who, but they forgot to change one of the company names in their email that was addressed to you, <laughs> and so it was very was clear. Yeah, yeah they were very clear that it's like, yeah, they were just sending the same email out on mass, and I, I think like 
it, it's not just a matter of getting the sponsorship. Like I'm not, it's a, a huge part of this. Like I want to be clear as well, like even as somebody who works for uh, a corporate entity that often sponsors these people, um, it's, it's not a cheat sheet of how to get noticed by us. Like, oh, if I do my research uh, on this company, then I'll stand a better chance. Not that, you know, that is true. But a huge part of it is about finding a company that connects with the culture that you want to set, right? Like if you're a high performance um, and you're just like, yeah, we we train all the time, uh, and we, you know we, but we like to have fun on on the weekends, and like you know we like we make content around how chill we are, and where we're kind of more of a everyday esports organization where we do vlogs, and you know we have like a in look into uh, look into the gaming house that fits much better with um, Corsair's current branding, which wants to be seen a little bit more as a lifestyle brand. Like Corsair recently changed its slogan to "Do Your Thing." And so, you know, if we were to partner with a esports organization, it wouldn't be one that was all really corporate, really professional, and like it just feels like you know there's no room for fun. That's that's definitely not the branding that we want to push forward. And the thing is, if you can find a sponsor that connects with the brand message that your esports organization has as well, it, it goes even further. And a, a big part of that as well, like you were saying, it, it's even more important for influencers. Like that's why we love working with people like Badger. I mean, you know. If there's something that I can say that I love about Badger Pants more than anything, he really does embody that do your thing. Like he, no one does what he does, and it's yeah, and it's awesome. And a, as a result, like um, you know, we have a pretty healthy sponsor and influencer relationship because we love the content that he produces. And the reality is that he loves being able to produce the content that he loves um, because I, I think like you know, obviously we think we make some of the best peripherals in the world. Um, but a lot of people just have personal preferences. And at, at the end of the day, like I could learn to use another company's mouse if I really wanted to. But the thing is, um, I connect with the branding um, on a more personal level um, than um, a lot of other brands. And it, the same thing would go for, you know, you think about the car that you drive. I mean, most cars will drive just fine. But what makes you connect with a certain car and a certain message? You know, Lamborghinis and Toyotas will both get you from point A to point B. But you can definitely think of a certain type of person that drives a Toyota and a certain type of person that drives a Lamborghini. And so I guess um, to anyone who maybe manages an esports team or you're in charge of sponsorships, think about the kind of person that you think your fan base is or that you're trying to reach to and maybe try and find a connection to a sponsor that you think hits the same demographic. Mm, yeah. So so we've talked a bit about messaging uh, and a bit about pitching, but let's let's have a chat about reporting and, and ROI. So how do you determine success in an esports partnership? I think um, this can vary depending on, you know, a, a lot of things like, you know, primarily the size of the esports team, um, the message. Again, the message of that esports team is very important too. like... Um, but I, I think like very standard things are also across the board expected, you know, you know, depending on the level of sponsorship things like proper logo placement um product placement is also important you know i can't i can't stress that enough that you know even if you're going for a lifestyle like oh we're casual not too corporate at the end of the day people need to know that you're being sponsored otherwise you know what are we paying for um and you know so, like like you were saying like yeah can in hand with red bull you know they they may not necessarily ask for a jersey but you'll see a lot of esports stages that happen to just have a Red Bull fridge in the back where any esports athlete can grab a drink if they need it. Um, and so yeah, there's return on investment in that regard for you know impressions, reach, engagement with the community. 
you know, and you could look across all sorts of analytics there on like Social Blade, you, you know, YouTube subscribers, average views, uh, likes on Facebook, followers on Twitter. There, there's a lot of things. Um, but I think um, particularly with esports more than influencers, um, one of the things that people do often overlook is that, you know, results are still very important because, um, you know, I think every company that sponsors a team, you know, it, it's it's just, I think, universally understood that high performance is always good. And even if it's just by association or the connotation of the sponsors of a high performance team, it's like, well, they're high performing. Um, of course, they're talented players. Of course, they work hard. But people will also look at, you know, what else has helped them get to this point. Um, and I think, um, yeah, I can't under, I can't overstate that performance is definitely something people look at. So I guess if I was to use a couple of broad terms, uh, performance of the organization, the content that they produce, not necessarily, you know, videos and things like that, but even just like sponsored posts, how they engage with the brand as well, the engagement with their community, um, as well as just typical analytics like impressions, reach and engagement. Yeah, fantastic. So I guess we'll wrap up, we'll wrap up esports in a second, but what's do you want, do you want to give some general advice to any teams that are looking at gaining maybe their first sponsor or any team that's looking to want to pitch Corsair or league or event are there any specific morsels of advice you'd like to provide to them i guess linking to what i said earlier about kind of like having an esports organization branding um find what makes your team unique and really kind of like capitalize on that as best as possible and then after you've figured that out, then try and find sponsors that you think can fit in with that message. Because if you, like, I, like I'm, I'm just going to go back to 100 Thieves because I absolutely love 100 Thieves branding. You know, I think, um, you know, I've heard people describe them as an apparel company that owns an esports team, something like that, or, uh, a, or a brand like TSM or Cloud9. Um, you know, whether or not it's accurate, I think people online have this impression of what a certain esports organization's fan base is like. And that's because, you know, I think the culture is set from the top down. So if you're trying to build up an esports organization or an esports team, um, you know, that'll include your players, your following, and your company culture. And yeah, if you're looking to pitch people, you need to find what it is that you do well and that you do best, better than any other esports organization, and pitch from that place. Because um, the, the reality is there are a lot of teams that perform really well in specific esports. Um, so, you know, that's not just what we're looking for. We're not just looking for like, hey, we're the best, you know, Street Fighter team in Australia. And it's like, okay, that's great. Um, but how does that connect with our brand in a way that's unique to you? Um, and I'm sure we're going to get into it with influence as well, uh, as well. And it makes more sense in influences, but in esports as well. I, I guess my number one bit of advice would be find your voice and find, um, if you're looking for sponsors, find a brand that connects with that in a way that makes sense to your audience. Yeah. And are there any, are there any trends in esports marketing that you're following at the moment? Is there anything new that, that Corsair is looking to get in that is maybe an emerging market? Um, my initial response is China, uh, just because esports e is becoming so huge over there. Um, and I mean, that, that is one thing that, you know, like that, I mean, for, for me personally, uh, looking at Australia, we're definitely monitoring the growth of esports here. Um, cause I, I, I'm sure you're as, as you do almost like every single day of your life, looking at Australian esports, like we are a little bit behind the rest of the West. Um, 
And so we are just definitely, we're definitely monitoring uh, the way that people are growing and engaging and how this scene is evolving. And I think, you know, 2018 as well was such a, like these past few years with, you know, IEM now having a Sydney-based event and, um, you know, the Melbourne Esports Open now taking place and uh, other things like that. It's it, it's definitely something that we're watching closely to see the growth locally and how the public is reacting to it, you know, with things like the Gfinity Elite Series as well um, and, you know, getting um, broadcasting rights on, you know, television is, it's very, it's very interesting for us to see because Australia is very different uh, from the rest of the West, even though it's more similar to the US in its esports style than it is to, let's say, China. But one of the best examples I can think of is um, actually just recently um, when we attended the uh, Dota, the Convictus Dota event together. Um, and just, you know, there, there were all sorts of issues and they, they did the best that they could because they were being DDoS and things like that. But just the Australian spirit and attitude is just so unique and fantastic and ways that people can engage with that are really important. And this is something that I think Greyhound Gaming does really well. Um, of course, uh, one of the, like, for example, like I'm familiar with Greyhound Gaming and one of the things I monitor with them is how they're growing their fan base. But in Australia in particular, I think just monitoring the culture of esports here is very interesting to me. I mean, for example, Shoeys becoming a standard thing at IEM Sydney. You know, uh, I mean, not that we can necessarily capitalize as a corporate entity on, you know, how people do Shoeys, but, you know, I mean, uh, for example, PLE did something similar. Like they they knew from IEM Sydney number one, shoeys were going to be a big thing. And they even just brought merchandise along to the second IEM Sydney that was just an RGB boot, which you could drink stuff out of, which was, yeah, the small things like that are indicative of a unique culture emerging in Australia. And I think that's something that we monitor very closely here. Yeah, so wrapping up this esports thing, throwing a little bit of a curveball question in here, and I'll I'll kind of give a little bit of my own answer at the beginning, so it'll give you a bit of time to think. But what I what I want to get from you is it could be one point, it could be five, but what are what are things that teams and leagues think that you care about as a sponsor that doesn't actually affect you or is not something you're looking for? So what I would say one of the answers is that if if you're someone looking to pitch a local entity, say Corsair ANZ say you're pitching an Australian PR company like Double Jump or an Australian esports company like Big Esports and you're a smaller team, if, if you're um, kind of boasting that you've got the number one Rocket League team in Japan or you've got a console team from Canada, that actually doesn't really matter to these brands at all and it doesn't affect them because as an Australian PR company like Double Jump, they're often fulfilling Australian requirements and Australian sales. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of similar with us here at Big Esports. And, you know, obviously being an Australian New Zealand representative yourself, for us, you've got, you know, sales targets that you're trying to help your sales team hit in Australia and New Zealand. So, you know, just I'd, I would definitely urge smaller teams to think about that because very, very often, even over the past eight years in esports, I've had a lot of smaller teams come to me and think that they've unlocked the way to to grow faster than anyone else, to scale faster and to become bigger. And while you might be able to get some fans from Japan to to kind of fluff up your numbers, ultimately it doesn't change the fact that your Australian audience will still be a very similar number, which is small, and the percentage will remain quite small, which doesn't help when you're pitching when you're pitching, sorry, to local contacts. Would you agree? And anything to add? I, I definitely agree. Um, I think one of the big things that you know some people do talk about, um, and th- this is kind of um, 
you know, not to sound like a broken record, but to tie it back to how your esports organization connects with a specific message, because there are certain uh, esports organizations that are known for competing internationally, you know, um, but at the same time, the the idea there, um, you know, to to be really Australian about it, like a lot of people would support like there, there's two messages that can come out come out of, you know, a group that always competes internationally, one being that, you know, they're never home. Or the second being like we got to support our boys, you know, as in like if you're if you're stirring up a lot of local support in Australia and New Zealand when you go abroad to compete, that's that's awesome and that's a fantastic way to capitalize on what your esports organization does well. But if on the other hand you're capitalizing while you're abroad to try and make fans abroad, I mean, again, like he said, that doesn't really help us back here. Even like if like I'd I'd take maybe ten Twitter followers in Australia. Um, for an esports organization that's coming out of my budget than 100 followers from, um, you know, Korea or something like that. You know, unless one of those followers is like Faker or something and he can, you know, retweet and get that massive like this. But yeah, the reality is like um, competing internationally should only be seen as a way to really stir up support and to boost yourself locally. And I think actually, um, you know, um, the Chiefs have done this really well um, when the, when they go abroad uh, and compete as well, so and I mean like even uh, Renegades as well, which has been in the states for quite a while, but still has a very strong Australian fan base that you can really see come out and support them like really really hardcore fans um, at IEM Sydney, you know. And um, I think uh, another thing that I would I would say as well is um, something that people uh, tie in. Uh, to sponsorship decks uh, and pitches to me that um, I don't think they quite understand the way it connects. Again, to relate it back to esports culture, uh, esports organizational culture. Um, if you come to me with you know good performance numbers, but I can't get a sense of who your players are, what your fan base is like, it's still it's still not great for me um, because I can't think of a creative way to engage uh, with with your organization and i think um it, it is true that you know if you are high performing if you perform really well and get you know you know top three in every esports that you compete in you will naturally get a lot of exposure but the thing there isn't necessarily just about the pure exposure numbers but also like the, the conversion of how you turn that exposure into a connection with your fans how you turn that exposure into a branding message for your team um and I, th I think I've I've spoken about this with you very briefly before, and I think this is something that Australia, um, Australian esports organizations really need to try and work on, um, because American esports teams do this really well. And I think um, if we look at American and European esports teams, there's almost an like unspoken expectation that if you're, for example, if you're going to be a player on the TSM League of Legends team, you're going to have to do some work at becoming an influencer in your own right that every player on the tsm lineup every player on the cloud nine csgo team every player on you know these big um esports organizations in na have an expectation to cultivate a social media following to engage on their own personal twitters and their own personal like instagrams and things like that um and that's something that i think australia is a little bit behind on that um if you have a clear message for your esports organization and the culture there, and you can find players that fit that culture and who can be on board with that, um, that matters just as much to me as performance does um, in the sense that 
performance without a clear um, mm. organizational um, like culture that can connect with a fan base uh, almost means nothing to me because what happens then uh, oftentimes is you'll have a team that you know wins for two three years and then once that team leaves a lot of people don't have loyalty to the brand because they realize that they just liked those players or something um, and then you, all of a sudden your team is no longer your team because all those players are gone and they're not getting the results that they used to so if you can find if you can find a way to connect with your audience in a way beyond performance so that they can have people that support you even when you're down I th that's super valuable uh, to us um, and of course ideally you can do both and perform well and have that connection um, so that's that's something that I think a lot of people overlook uh, because they focus too much on performance, uh, whereas we're looking for a way to engage. You know, it's not just about the impressions; it's about the engagement. Yeah, no, understand and agree. I I just wanted to add a bit of a footnote to what I said before as well, in the fact that having having international teams is fine. You know, if you've got a team in Korea and a team in Japan and one in New Zealand and Australia, etc., that's perfectly fine. But just to be very clear, that people need to understand who they're pitching to, yeah, yeah. and that if you're you know, pitching to Corsair A and Z, you're unlikely to be able to gather as much support and then you're going to have to pitch to Corsair Global, which unlocks more money and more possibilities, but you have to be of a much larger scale to suit that. And then you'll be, you know, on the same payroll that, that teams like IG are being paid on, which means that you have to be on similar scales to them. So, and that kind of follows the point that, you know, it's not a, I'd, I'd say definitely that it's not a sponsor's job to be an investor and to invest um, in a team hoping that they'll grow it's you know that's that's what a investor is actually for and and this is something that i've run into in the past as being a sponsor as well with the team saying you know sponsor us will be as big or bigger than these other people within 12 months and look that's that's nice and you know while obviously you know as a brand you're investing money in that team um, in the literal sense and you're trying to help them grow because it's better for your brand if that team grows because you both get more exposure you know, you're not taking a punt on a team as an angel or a VC trying to pump in some money to gain a percentage ownership to then sell it in the future, like traditional people are. So, yeah, definitely something for, for teams to keep in mind. Yeah, agreed. So, um, moving the conversation a bit more towards influencers now. So, influencers is the buzzword right now. Um, you know, if you're looking in Australia, you've got, uh, you know, I think we punch very above our weight. As far as influencers go, if you go to YouTube trending, generally at any one time in the gaming section, there'll be like six Aussie videos in there from people like Luzafruit and Muselk and Laserbeam and Lachlan and Max Mofo and these kind of people. So, you know, we're obviously a very big powerhouse here in Australia, but we don't have as much money as some of these other countries do just to our sheer size and scale. So how do you find the balance of that, Ross? Because it's, it's obvious that most of these influencers do have very big American audiences too. So what's the dichotomy there of, I guess I've asked you a couple of questions, of these influencers being so large and your budget not being gigantic because we're smaller, but also the influencers having a majority of viewers based outside of Australia in most cases? I think, um, mm, how, how to phrase this? W one of the analogies that I used recently is if you consider every influencer a separate circle, um, and if, if you bring them all under one banner, uh, what does that Venn diagram look like? And where is the overlap in their, in their fan bases, in their interests, in the content that they make? For example, sponsoring a streamer um, is very different from sponsoring a YouTuber. Uh, sponsoring a YouTuber with um, a you know average fan uh, 
age of about you know 15 is monumentally different from sponsoring a streamer who has you know an average fan who's age 26 or something like that and i think you know particularly the, the same goes for you know the the location of where their fans are whether they're in america and things like that um and i think a lot of the time yeah there there is that sense of you know because i'm the anz marketing rep i'm trying to find people with um the ability to bring fans to an australian event um and, and the reality is um if if they're really big in America, it's probably likely that they're fairly big in Australia as well. Um, you see the same rough trends of demographic breakdown of like let's say seventy percent American, ten percent Canadian, ten percent UK, eight percent Australian. Um, you know, regardless of the size, that that's just a rough ratio. I have no idea what the actual demographic breakdowns are for some of my de um, influencers um, as a broad rule. But you know, if like eight percent of 2 million is still more than, let's say, 10% of 200,000. But then at the same time, you have to look there of um, into, you know, the, the cost and the ROI and their ability to do things like go to events. And again, uh, to use the Venn diagram analogy, different um, influencers will want to do different types of content, different types of activations. And so we try to pick up influencers that we think um, uh, both uh, overlap for you know strong collaborative events, strong collaborative content. Um, but we also want to have circles that are pretty far apart to make sure that we're addressing different areas of the larger gaming ecosystem and communities. Um, you know, and that that comes down to all sorts of things like geography as well. So, for example, with someone that we sponsor who's really big, like Loser Fruit, um, if she wants to go to E3, then we can we can connect with Corsair HQ back in California. And have her go to E3 um, and have a fan meet up there and have it still be really relevant uh, at the same time. Like we had her at PAX Australia, we had her at our booth and we got we got mobbed by her fans just because you know she does have a huge Australian following too. So a, a lot of the time, the it's it's more about the way that we can find um, a healthy way to capitalize um, on the unique identity of that influencer. Yeah. So I guess expanding on what you were just talking about then. Um, how do you how do you pick new influencers? Do you have, um, let's say, physical Venn diagram? Seems to be one of your <laughs> favorite analogies and, and one that I think is very interesting and agree with. Do you, do you have kind of the writing on the wall per se that says we need influencers to fit these different personalities, or do you just pick them as they come? What's the strategy around that? Um, so there's to, to, so let's just look at the streaming space for example. If we're looking at just streamers, um, uh, of course. Fortnite is the biggest game in the world right now um, in terms of like online viewership numbers and League of Legends going back and forth depending on when the events are going. So it's it's true that the like I have to just look at like, okay, so I need someone who streams Fortnite and ideally I want someone who can stream League of Legends as well. Now there some some viewers do play League of Legends and play Fortnite. But at the same time, it's like there are a lot of people that don't overlap in in those communities. So picking up an influencer uh, in the Fortnite community and picking up an influencer in the League of Legends community, let's just say that they both cost 10 grand a year each, um, is in my mind a much better investment than picking up two Fortnite streamers uh, of the, roughly the same age, the same price, um, because you're hitting two very different demographics, especially for a company like Corsair that produces a large um, number of peripherals. Um, you can hit different demographics for people who like to play games differently. 
at the same time, it really depends on the, you know, th this is just from my experience, but at the same time, if you uh, work for a different company, you're trying to get your name out there uh, and you have a different type of branding in mind, then, you know, maybe, maybe what you do want to do is double down on Fortnite and you want to pick up as many influencers in that Fortnite space as possible because you want them to create collaborative content together because you think it might be more memorable, for example. Um, so I mean, there's a there's a lot of things that we look at, and even in the the types of games that they play, you know, we want we want kind of um, high performance streamers. I think that that's something that's really important. You know, for example, like Summit One G, he's you know he's a great personality, but a lot of people also know him for being really good at shooting games. Um, we also want to pick up people who are variety streamers, personality streamers, who have the ability to move from game to game. Uh, and they the the loyalty in their viewership is really to their personality. And you know when we can support people like that, it's um, it's really it's it, it it has a very different feel to it. I, I know it's kind of a vague term, but the feel of these kinds of streamers, like high performance streamers in comparison to variety streamers. And I'm sure um, many of your listeners will understand what I'm talking about, um, especially when we try to hit as many different, um, major pillars, if you will, of the Twitch streamers. So looking at your uh, marketing budget or plan as a whole, are the influencers cannibalizing other sections of your marketing budget or is this something that's completely added on? Like are they fulfilling a need that didn't exist before or are they fulfilling a need that did exist and it's just going more towards influencers instead of other things? Um, I'm not sure if cannibalizes is the right word, but I, I get what you mean. Um, I think the reallocation of budgeting towards influencers um, uh, is definitely a, a big thing globally. Um, we're seeing influencers on the rise, um, you know, both large and small. And I think um, depending on uh, the region and how well they activate on, um, you know, a branding sponsorship or how well they connect with their brand's message again is um, will help determine how how much budget we can allocate to that. And I think in Australia in particular, um, people have a really, re really um, chill, relaxed kind of uh, culture here in the way that they engage with, you know, the personalities that they enjoy, which um, is, it's, it's nice. And it's not, you know, always, it doesn't, it means that I don't have to focus too much on high performance because we, we just like getting people who can really, you know, get along with a brand in a healthy way, uh, whether they're winning or losing. Um, and I think in that regard, you know, when we see an influencer who can do that really well, then yeah, it is very easy to kind of justify moving budget across towards sponsoring more influencers who can get similar results to influences that we already sponsor. So um, I, I guess to, to look at it from a corporate point of view, it's about, you know, we allocated a X amount into, you know, Y bucket. And then uh, when we've seen that the ROI from putting, you know, this, this much money into that bucket works, it's easy to say like, well, let's withdraw funds from something where we didn't see as much ROI and just put it in here. Um, and influencers, I think globally are definitely that bucket where a lot of people are seeing a lot of return on investment. And how do you how do you find what market segments that you should be investing in? Like, obviously, you mentioned before that Fortnite is a game that you see that you definitely need to be in, and, and League of Legends is a strong possibility. But how do you actually determine that those two are um, something that you should invest in? Is there a special 
uh, curriculum that you go through for doing this research? So this definitely just comes down to, as you said, the research that I do, and um, you know, um, you know, that can come from you know really direct contacting game publishers and asking them for things like you know what's the average age of a user that signs up to this. Uh, to Epic Games, or you you know contact Blizzard, and you're like you know what type of demographic uh, of people play Hearthstone, or you know whatever it is, um, and um, you know sometimes that research I just do myself by going to these events. You know sometimes I'll fly out to an event just to see what the community is like, and if this is something that we think that we can capitalize on. Um, and I think you know once that research is done, once I get a sense of you know you know uh, if we're talking about you know games. You know that's also different from talking about streamers, but at the same time, there is obviously that clear connection. And so, for Fortnite, I think it's pretty well understood that the average age of a Fortnite player is probably quite a bit younger than the average age of a World of Warcraft player, for example. And so, we have to determine what kind of branding message we're looking for in a specific time frame. Let's say for the next two quarters, we want to make sure that we're hitting gamers across the board of every like of all ages and so we're going to pick up uh, and look to uh, activate with influencers and kinds of um, marketing strategies that can hit multiple age groups and as you said for example that might be working with Fortnite streamers if we want to hit with a younger demographic or world of warcraft or world of warships for you know an older demographic so that's i mean the onus is on me to to do the research uh, and have accurate numbers and accurate representation in that regard. And a lot of that can even just come out of um, conversations that we have with influencers, because obviously they know what their fan base is like and what kind of people they have in their communities. Yeah, and you know, highlighting what you were saying, it's, it's apparent that it's very important to be upfront and honest as an influencer You know, when you're working with a brand about who your actual audience is um because the numbers don't lie and it's and it's really easy to tell everything these days right you've got um platforms like twinge.tv if um if no one's using that at the moment definitely get on that straight away uh it's a fantastic way to to take a look at how people's communities are growing and how many concurrent viewers they get or things like social blade for youtube because you can track um you know how many plus subscribers per month uh you know how many plus views per month and, and that kind of stuff are there any other tools that that you use or any specific metrics that you're looking at like are you looking at followers are you looking at on the go stats are you looking at 30 day stats what what are you looking at when you're uh, weighing up new opportunities um i think a lot of that will depend on the influencer that we're looking at so for example um Someone like Luzafruit, who um, you know I've been working with um, even at my previous company as well. Like she, like um, she's absolutely fantastic at moving from game to game and finding creative ways to capitalize on the content that matters. Um, but you know she was a huge League of Legends streamer, then she became a massive Overwatch streamer, and now she's a absolutely huge Fortnite streamer. And um, you know part part of what part of what we're looking for when we work with them is about you know. The, the numbers, as you're saying, don't lie. And the fact that her her viewership has gone up and up, uh, her YouTube uh, subscriptions have gone up and up, you know, for, for an influencer like her who has longevity, it's important for us to look at, um, you know, every everything, every every part of um, her, like she, she's, she, she would be like an in-depth case where we really have to consider a lot of aspects, you know, how long has she been on the platform? How has she grown? What games has she played? Are the same fans following through? How does it bleed through to all of her other socials? Um, and how can we then capitalize on that? Whereas 
for other streamers that are up and coming or smaller, a lot of it will be the metrics will be more focused on what's their growth like. If this is what their growth has been like over the past 30 days, what will it look like over the next quarter? Is this then going to be somebody that we want to work with? Um, and, and a lot of that even can tie into the health of a game. Um, and this is something that I think Epic Games has done really well. Like, I just want to give props to Epic Games for really partnering with their influencers uh, in a really, like, really straightforward way of use this influencer's code in the shop and they get a little bit of a kickback and they can know that you're supporting them. Um, and because I think Epic Games realizes that, you know, Fortnite is... Fortnite is a fun game. It's great. It's free. Um, everyone's willing to give it a go. But a huge strength of Fortnite is in the community that they've cultivated. And it's the same for any other influencer. So, um, you know, it, even for an upcoming streamer, you know, someone who's making huge waves, who maybe is getting three to 400 concurrence uh, with a great conversion rate on their followers on Twitch, um, if they're not cultivating a a following elsewhere on on Twitter, on Instagram. And again, like, I don't want to harp on this too much, but if they don't, if they need to create, like, you know, an influencer by, um, in, in my opinion, like one of the things that makes them an influencer is having their own clear personality that they can push. And your personality doesn't have to be loud and exciting and crazy like someone like, you know, um, PewDiePie or something like that. You know, you can just be... You know, very uh, you know, under understated and relaxed and pulled back, and you know that's that's still a specific personality type that your viewers will connect with. So we we look at those kinds of things as well, like when we're taking influences into account, the conversion and engagement rates. Like if you've been playing, like Badger Pants is a fantastic example of this. He doesn't have the largest amount of followers, but his conversion rate from follower to a concurrent is huge. Um, if people follow him, it's more than likely that they watch his stream fairly often. Whereas there are a lot of streamers who have, you know, millions of followers, but you know they don't get millions of like millions of concurrence. They usually get maybe let's say ten to twenty thousand, which is still absolutely massive. But you know when you consider that that's like you know one percent of their fan base, um, it's it's very different from someone who can engage with let's say thirty forty percent of their fan base on a regular basis. Yeah, so uh, we've we've chatted a bit about esports and, and a bit about traditional gaming and um, traditional influencers. Could you touch on a little bit about tech influencers and tech reviewers as a bit of a tangent? Um, how does that function into your marketing plan versus traditional uh, tech channels and traditional reviewers? So let's use an example of you know hardware unboxed Tech City Rocket Jump Ninja versus uh, Kotaku, etc. Yeah, so I, th I think a large part of that um, also depends on the company that you work for. So here at Corsair, it, it makes a lot more sense for us to connect with like, let's say an influencer like Loserfruit or a more kind of lifestyle media brand like Kotaku that we send them things like wireless headsets, uh, you know, mice and keyboards, Whereas, um, you know, someone who's very hardware focused, like Tech City or Hardware Unboxed, it's like, yeah, you know what? Let's just send them a really banging PSU, a fantastic case, uh, and some great looking RAM uh, and some high performance SSDs. Um, whereas those are not the kinds of things that, you know, to be honest, most typical gamers will be looking at. You know, like a, a lot of gamers who are tuning into, let's say, Oasis's stream are probably going to be looking at what mouse, what headset, what keyboard. Whereas if you're a hardware enthusiast trying to get the you know the highest overclocks on your Intel CPU, you're going to be looking at you know what RAM, what cooling, what case, what airflow. Um, so a lot a lot of it comes down to the product segment, but also the kind of message that you want to be sending uh, through different avenues. Um, and again, uh, similar to what I was saying about esports, 
uh, and I'm really just saying the same thing over and over. It's about how you can connect with a um, a specific brand or a specific identity of an influencer. Um, for example, Brian from Tech Yes City, he's got that whole thing about you know Tech Yes loving uh, and uh, performance and bang for your buck. Uh, whereas hardware unboxed, you know, similar space, and we give them, you know, very similar gear. But hardware unboxed is definitely going for, you know, they're the they're the benchmarking kings, so they need reliability and high performance. Uh, and you know, Corsair has a huge number of products. And you know, if if you're looking for bang for your buck, you know, we've got RAM that's like that. And if you just want really high performance and look and bling, you know, we've got RGB RAM with ten LEDs per stick and things like that. So a, a large part of it is about finding which segment, uh, you know, for, at least for us, which segment of our products and which segment of our corporate message can they engage with? And then you just double down on that and really, really uh, go go ahead with it. And, you know, wrapping up all three of these topics together, where's where does the best ROI come for you? Where is the most excitement? Do you find that it's spread across all of these properties we've talked about? Or is there one section where the money spent versus um, investment gained or return gained is just greater than the rest? I think it's really difficult to say um, because, you know, I, I have my preferences personally um, and, you know, a corporate preference is also very different from, you know, my personal preference. Like I love, I love working with influencers because for me, uh, engaging with communities is you know, one of the best things in uh, that I get to do in my job. You know, like um, for example, I absolutely love PAX. Getting to meet all the fans of Avant Garde, getting to meet uh, Loser Fruits fans that came to see her, and Bajo, the Bajonian community is absolutely fantastic. And um, you know, even even some of the hardware reviewers like Hardware and Box and Tech City, their communities. Those are the best things for me when I when we get to invest. So personally, I have a preference towards influencers, and I. Um, I see a lot of ROI there and I focus on that a lot. But at the same time, um, you have to have measured expectations about what that ROI means. So for example, um, you know, Loser Fruits um, uh, fan base is probably a lot younger than let's say Tech Yes Cities. Um, you know, Tech City doing, you know, secondhand PC and bang for your buck performance is more of a enthusiast level someone who's done the research who's familiar with tech and usually to be familiar with tech you have to have been in the scene for a little while whereas like Fortnite's not even existed for three years really so you know like it, it, i wouldn't be surprised if loser fruits fan base was quite a lot younger and so the reality there is that um you know if you're looking at it from a purely uh business like you know point of view there's certain demographics and certain uh you know returns that you know the different communities have different amounts of uh expect like um disposable income and so if you've got a lot of like 10 year olds watching you um you know uh, income like if you have a thousand concurrence and they're all 10 year olds who can't afford to buy anything uh you know that might be you know you know, that might be a bigger number than 500 concurrence, but if there are 500 concurrence of people who are, you know, 23 to 27 who have disposable income and are looking to purchase a headset, that's very different. Um, and I think that's a huge, that's a huge thing for different types of influencers. So, um, you know, if I was to look at it, like, yeah, media influencers and esports. personally, my favorite is um, influencers, and that's where I see the most ROI. But at the same time, um, I, I want to give that disclaimer of it really depends on what type of ROI you're looking for, because impressions 
means something different depending on who they're coming from. And is there is there any parting advice you'd like to give anyone who's trying to pitch you for a sponsorship in the future or another company? Um, I think a big part is, uh, again, same advice of find your voice uh, and how you can connect with it and find your audience first as well. I think a big part um, that um, a lot of pitches and a lot of like um, sponsorship kind of um, conversations that I have with people one of the big things that's missing is I like your brand. You know, I hear that a lot. I like your brand. But if you can add anything to the second part of that, it would be, and here's why I think it connects with my community. I think that's a huge thing that a lot of people just have never even considered communicating to me in their sponsorship conversations. Um, you know, someone like Rocket Jump Ninja is very straightforward of, here's what I do, high-end peripheral reviews. I like your peripherals. so like chuck us a keyboard because I love your keyboards and this is what my community loves. And so that kind of advocacy is huge. Whereas if you're not sure of how to connect a brand with your community, it's going to be really difficult to find value in any sponsorship amount whatsoever because, you know, wasted money is still wasted money. So you, I would say if you're a streamer or an esports organization, or even if you're just a, you know, you want to become a tech YouTuber or something, Find out what the general culture of your audience is and find a way to connect uh, your message and sponsors with that community. Mm. And, I, and I think, you know, we, we've touched a couple of times on um, just sending off the, hey, company name, I really liked your product, et cetera. You know, please give me money kind of thing. And one, one tip that I would give to people, because it's obvious that as, as a startup and a small business, you're, you're often trying to reach out to as many brands as possible, you know, within your, your realm of expertise or your realm of, of marketing and, you know, trying to farm some support while you're trying to grow. But what I would say to you is that if you're doing that, don't copy paste write it out by hand, by hand, I mean through a keyboard every single time because generally what I find is that you start to actually, um, you know, start to tailor it towards that company and you will never run into the mistake where you call them company name because you're actually sending them a message. So, Ross, thanks for coming on today, mate. Where can uh, where can people follow you and follow your company on social media? Uh, so, Corsair is um, just Corsair on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the things. Uh, and for me personally, uh, I'm on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. Uh, it's all Ross Cossity, R-O-S-C-O-S-I-T-Y. Fantastic. Thanks for coming along today, mate. No, thanks for having me, man. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links, and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports underscore gg. Today's podcast and all of season one and season two has been brought to you by our sponsor, PLE Computers.